Hi, this is Greg McNeil. The following podcast is a re-release of an earlier episode with Dan Malloy, the man who came up with the idea of quick response teams. Since we first aired this podcast, many communities throughout the country have added QRT teams, including 10 here in Summit County, Ohio. And Dan has moved on from his position as safety director in Coleraine, Ohio, and is now consulting, working on the next big thing to help fight the opioid epidemic. Enjoy this re-release of our Cover 2 PPT podcast on quick response teams that initially aired in August of 2016. Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Daniel Malloy, the Director of Public Safety for the Coleraine Township in Hamilton County, located just north of Cincinnati. An article in the USA Today on August 27th brought Dan to my attention. The article cited an overdose crisis in the Cincinnati area last week that left emergency responders drained as they dealt with 78 overdose cases over a two-day period. What stood out for me was buried in the article. It was a reference to a 35% drop in overdoses in your community over the same period last year. In this podcast, we'll discuss how you were making a difference, Dan, in the opioid epidemic through a unique teamwork approach. So welcome, Director Malloy. It's great to have you here with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, before we get into what happened in your area last week, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've witnessed as the heroin epidemic has begun to overwhelm communities in your area. No problem. Um, again, thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity to talk about, you know, the need to get involved and then some of the work that we've done that maybe can help provide a template or, you know, almost kind of a paint-by-numbers opportunity for other folks and other communities to say, you know, what we can do something, and it's not rocket science. It's just a matter of... Um, getting involved and associating with good people and, and making something happen. So we have decided that in a problem-solving mode, the heroin problem is something that needed to be addressed and we needed to think about some, doing something differently other than arresting people and just dealing with uh, the multitude of victims, whether it be the people living in the overdose or the addicted lifestyle or dealing with the overdoses or family members or community members that are subject to the fallout that goes along with that. So really it's been a learning process since 2014. 
um, when I started really getting my feet wet in both the world of fire and EMS as well as looking at the heroin issue from a problem-solving perspective, which is an operating philosophy that we have within the police department, meaning that, by definition, two or more incidents that occur in which there's an expectation from a community that the police department will do something about it. Well, I think it's pretty simple to understand that there's definitely been more than two instances of heroin, whether it be arrest, trafficking, possession, or overdose-related issues, that there's a problem. So we realized that we needed to change our perspective on it, think differently, bring different people into the mix, and problem solve, and really work hard to identify a solution rather than being overwhelmed by the problem. So can you take us through that program and how you set up your quick response program? Sure, no problem. It's, it's kind of a um, one step in front of you, know, kind of walk before you can run, crawl before you can walk, all that kind of piece. Um, we knew there's definitely a problem, but we needed to learn as much as we could about it. And what we learned initially was that a lot of folks that are wanting help don't have any idea where to find help. And even from a family perspective, um, they didn't know where to turn or they don't have the resources to turn to and find help. So we, as we were meeting people in this world, we realized that that was a shortfall and that we would probably be dealing with a lot of folks who are asking the same questions. So we partnered up with a group called the Community Recovery Project.org who had created a resource document. Actually, we call that our recovery resource packet. And that packet provides a lot of um, phone numbers, contacts, definitions, understanding so people know what, who, the, who to call, who can they call, what you know, uh, inpatient, outpatient service capabilities there are, and they can actually get something at the time of the incident and know that they can make a phone call and not be helpless or wondering, where do I turn? That was a very well received, and we started doing that August 1st of 2014. And every overdose incident that we responded to, we provided that. Now, we didn't order any of our police or fire to to give that out. We wanted to, again, work within the organization and change a culture that was kind of cynical towards all the negative that's associated with the crime, the family troubles associated with it, the neighborhood troubles, and all the things that go on from the police side, as well as the repeat run volume that's associated with, you know, responding to the same family or the same person three times within a week for for an overdose. We needed to change the ideology or the perspective of our first responders to say, you know what? We have a job, we're committed to, to saving lives, making a positive impact, and do the right things. We don't get to pick and choose what those situations are. We just have to be the most professional in our service and commit ourselves to doing the right thing every time to no matter who dials 911 or who asks us to provide that level of service. Yeah, let's talk about your teams then. So, And let's get down into the teams before we get into how you went about assembling this and putting the program together methodically. So the teams consist of? Team consists of a full-time police officer, a paramedic who we train at a level of a tactical medic, which is a little bit higher, asking them to do a little bit more. We equip them just a little bit differently when we train them differently, and I'll certainly bring that up. And then the third partner, and probably the most important partner, is our partner from the Cincinnati Addiction Services Council, who provides that on-site triage and assessment to anyone that has overdosed that we're conducting the follow-up for. And 
they are fantastic. I mean, they just, they're great at what they do. They're very passionate, and you need that right kind of relationship. But they have become just an unbelievably important part of our team as we make this response. And um, as far as the, the police officer, the training and the, and the capabilities of the police officer really aren't any different other than being open-minded and realize that we are doing the right thing for the community. We still arrest people. We still take people to jail for trafficking and drugs, and think there's a time and a place when the crime needs to be addressed, but for the most part, we are trying to problem-solve through and get them the help that they need so we can end the problem and resolve the problem rather than just arrest them, take them to jail so they can come back out and then reuse and then probably overdose because we know the differences in the in their, in their uh, ability to handle a certain level before they go in, to the, and then they come out 30 days later and they try to use the same level of heroin that they used before, and then it, it in the next center, they're in an overdose situation. So we've kind of learned that, and we're working within that area to just to get them the help that they need, so we can provide that long-term uh, solution to that heroin problem. But yeah. it's a trained paramedic, because and the question often comes: Why do you need a paramedic? And the paramedic is the team response is really kind of simple. It's it there's definitely a function because. There was a crime committed at the time of the overdose. There was a possession charge, the drug abuse instrument possession. You know, there's a there's a the possession of the, the the controlled substance. All those kinds of things certainly can be criminal in nature, and there are communities across the state of Ohio that do prosecute for that. But that gets us to the door, and I, as a police officer, I get to bring my friends, who are the paramedic and the social service person, and knock on the door and say, hey, we were here the other day, we were here for the overdose for, you know, Dan Malloy. We're, we'd like to, is Dan here? So let's back up yeah, just Dan. a second, Dan. Let's yeah, back up for just a second. So pretty much you track all of the overdoses and within about three days later, after an overdose has taken place in your community, this team goes out and knocks on the door. That's correct. We try to get out. We've proven that if we get to face-to-face with you within three to five days, 80% of the, those people are, are making it to treatment. When we first started... We didn't, we tried to do a look back. We tried to go back 30, 60 days. There wasn't a whole lot of cooperation or interest in, because they've, they're long past that overdose. They're long past that death experience. The three to five day window is the, is the window that we found to be the most successful. And we were just talking today is uh, with the addiction services um, CEO, Nan Franks, and she was telling me, Dan, we're at 80% success when we have a face-to-face three to five days. How do you kind of overcome that when you knock on the door and, geez, how's the dialogue go? What happens? Well, it's, it's really funny. Um, the first um, officer that was assigned, the police officer was assigned to this, was a drug investigator for me when I was the chief of police. And he always likes to tell people that he was voluntold to do this job. And he did it because he believed in us and he believed in, you know, the greater vision. But he didn't figure out how the heck is this going to work. I mean, I've arrested a lot of these people, most likely, and... There's no way in heck, number one, they're going to open the door. Number two, they're going to want anything to do with me. And what the team found out very early on is doors did open. No one was running out the back door. And they like to tell the story that probably nine out of ten cases, within five minutes, there's some crying and hugging going on. Because they can't believe, number one, that people that they looked up to, again, think back to when you are a child or, you know, as a parent, you're reading books to your kids. And who are the people that are presented to us as people that we can trust within our community, people that want to do right by us, and people that want to make a positive impact is a police officer and a firefighter. 
And then all of a sudden, there's a police officer and a firefighter at your door and saying, we're here to help you. And they're in a position where self-confidence is not at its highest. Self-esteem is certainly not where it was prior to the, the initiation or their addictive lifestyle. So they're looking at us and they're thinking, why do you want to help me? But you really want to help me? And here I brought my friend Nan or Shana from the Addiction Services Council, and they're here to work with you to get you to treatment and get you help. And we're going to do it right now because we're right here. And you don't have to go anywhere. You don't need anything because we're going, to, we're going to do it for you. And the response has been unbelievable. We've had people bring their friends to come to when they knew we were coming. So there's two people rather than just one to be go through the triage and go through the assessment and get things done. We were just talking about a gentleman today. He's in, um, we provide a sober living class on Wednesday nights after a QRT. We provide family counseling, and we're, and we're initiating a youth piece as well. One of the gentlemen that's now in the follow-up counseling was four months ago was an absolute disaster. And they said, you need to come by. They were asking me to see him because you wouldn't believe it's the same person. See, these are the things that you, you just kind of sit back and go, wow, this is why we got in the business, right? This is why we <clears throat> chose to do the jobs we do. Again, we don't get to pick the course or the lane we travel in. We just get to know what we believe in and make a difference. So this is really exciting not only for us as first responders, but for the folks that are in the social work platform and they're seeing a result of their work. So it's, it's pretty daggone immense. Outstanding. So one of the challenges that we have here is once you get somebody to the point where they, they say, hey, I want, I want in. Give me, I, I need to get into treatment. We have no beds. How do you right. deal with that? How do you deal with that? I mean, you're going out, you're knocking on the door, so you're aggressively pursuing them and you get 80% of them that say, yeah, I want help. But then do you have that gap that we would have? We would have like a, a geez, could be a two week gap. We have that gap. We're not lying to you. And that's, that's, you know, I saw this as a bridge between the overdose and that treatment to build that connection and build that relationship and build that capability there for someone or a family to have someone to reach out to while they're waiting for that day to come. How do you we feel? Get, yeah. We get the people to call and say, are you really picking me up tomorrow? Am I really getting, am I really going to treatment? And they're ready. I mean, they're waiting. They're, they're ready to go when the folks come up to get them, to take them to their treatment. And What's surprising is so many people want to get help. Yeah. Nobody wants to live in this lifestyle. It is, there's so much more people that want help than anyone wants to give them credit for. So that is definitely, that's the conversation we had today at a press conference and an opportunity to sit down with Senator Portman um, with, in one of the fire stations that was impacted immensely by the overdoses last week in the city of Cincinnati. We sat down and, and they talked about it and this treatment piece continues to come up because the availability of quality treatment for the people that want it is just not there and yeah. steps need to be taken to make sure that's available. We have a partner here that, again, I, I, I tell people you'd be surprised who may reach out to you when they see that you're actually doing something. Because I've had a, I've had a call from an inpatient facility that said, We're, we, we can keep beds, we can keep a couple beds available for Coleraine's QRT. You know, just let us know. We'd be happy to do it. Well, Wow, um, thank you. Uh, we have another service provider, uh, addiction physician, that has moved his facility and opened up his facility as of August 15th into Colerain because he wanted to work within a community that was doing something. Now he's committed to us that he will provide next day availability to his office for anyone that overdoses in our community. So those things that, wow, didn't expect that, didn't um, 
didn't really know how to ask for something like that. But that's I, I just believe that there's so many good people that want to make this kind of impact. When you start working in this field, you're going to connect with them, and you never know what resource may come up. So I, it's an outpatient facility, but we can get this doctor is very, very smart, has a lot of talent working with him. They can do something to start this process and make sure that we're not just doing the same thing over and over again, and that's just allowing the person to exist until we can get them something and somewhere. So we can at least look in the mirror and know that we're doing everything possible within our abilities and our resources to change these people's lives. So now you alluded to this a little bit earlier. How can we make this kind of for lack of a better expression here, paint by numbers for other communities that want to adopt a similar model to what you've done here, Dan? Well, we've we've talked to a lot of communities. I've talked, you know, Highland County, Ross County, um, Miami County, Troy, Ohio, in the state of Indiana, um, the Indiana Institute of Justice. We're meeting with the Northern Kentucky Office of Drug Control Policy on Friday. We will help and do anything. That's one of the great things about police and fire across this nation is we don't mind sharing and we will give you everything we have to help you if you choose to to do this. I spoke uh, with uh, Chief Mueller, our EMS coordinator from Colerain Township Department of Fire and EMS the other day. We were in San Antonio at a national fire conference and we had a chance to speak with chiefs from throughout the country and, and leaders and they, everybody agrees that there's something that needs to be done and they want to be a part of doing something. Well, we have the template. We'd be happy to the logic models, uh, you know, the outcome models, the resource recovery packets, you can see what they're, you could do that tomorrow if you had if information that in your community for resources, you could put your header on it and start giving them out tomorrow. That's one thing I tell everybody. You can do this tomorrow for .08 cents a page, if, depending on what your copy contract is, for black and white copies, and you can start giving out resources that will make a difference. Why? Because we know it, because they came back and said, this document provided me the resources, and it saved my daughter's life, it saved my life, it can make a difference from the get-go. And you can slowly build up your, you know, your partnerships within your community to eventually initiate a response team, and it can be one day a week, because that's all we are right now in Colerain. It's every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or later, depending on the volume of, of follow-ups. We partner that police officer, that uh, paramedic and the, and the addiction services council expert, and we go out and we make contacts and we meet people and we conduct a follow-up. So it doesn't have to be a full-time thing. It can be a part-time thing. It can be a one-day-a-week thing. It can be a two-days-a-week thing. That, to me, that would be optimal. You could hit like a Tuesday and a Friday, so you always remain within that three- to five-day window of response because that has also been proven. Um, it just takes leaders to want to do something and then make it work for their community. You may not have, I've got one community that we talk to, they don't have police support. They're going to do it with a medic and a, and a social service provider. It's not optimum, but they need, they know in their heart they want to do something because they believe it works, and hopefully they'll prove through small wins that the police department will want to join in and be a part of it. I just tell do what you do, be safe in what you do, and make something like that happen. You'll be surprised. And it doesn't have to just be police and, and, and fire response. If you have a hospital in your community, work with your hospital. A hospital here at Fort Hamilton, Hughes in Hamilton, Ohio, it's a suburb just north of us. Their hospital has been 
instrumental in creating what they call the golden ticket program, where someone comes into the ER, they evaluate, and they throw them in the golden ticket program, and they can get counseling service, physician oversight, and all the things that are helpful in the road to recovery through that relationship in the hospital. That is, to me, that's just, that's huge. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to be helpful in this. It's just a matter of leadership saying that we, we need to do something, and I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to fail if it doesn't work, and I'm willing to listen to the things that make it better, and I'll come back to this play, and I'll do it differently next time because that's that's really where we're at. This was a we was an idea, it was a concept, and we just tried it, and we knew it would be different in 16 than it was in 15, and it is. It's working differently. It's the, the response differently, but it's little things sometimes. When we go to a house and there's no one there, we write handwritten notes, like, Dan, we were here for you. We want to help. Um, Nan from Addiction Services Council, calling police and fire. And it's a handwritten note, a little note, just to let them know that it's not just a business card. There is actually a, there's a, we're trying to connect. That's a great touch. It's amazing. It's amazing the way that that's been received, mm. taking a handwritten note. And that that's Nan Franks from the, the CEO. She's a 30-year veteran of doing this kind of, of work with people in this lifestyle, and she's truly passionate and cares and wants to make that difference. That was her idea. You know, we're a little more official and stuff, police and fire, but she's that person. She just did it. She said, I, I want to leave a handwritten note. And you know what? That makes a difference. It's people want connection, and they believe that they want to believe that you care, and that's sometimes it's the littlest stuff that just doesn't make, you wouldn't even think about it, and uh, it's really cool to see it evolve and see successes. Can you speak to the money end of it? Well, yes, it costs us $34,000 a year to run 52 weeks, eight hours a week with police officer and a paramedic. Cost thirty, And to pay for the gasoline and the oil changes and all that, $34,000 a year. So on the other side of that, if you could speculate for a second, what do you suppose the community saves as a result of that in not having to go round and round and arrest, in essence, the same person multiple times, the additional crime that's caused, et cetera, et cetera? That's a, that's a great question because the reality is the crime in itself. If I take Dan Malloy off and put him in recovery and Dan Malloy's been breaking the house's sheds, all that kind of things that go along with it, stealing copper from AC units, stealing out of vacant houses, the cost, who knows that cost, you know, for all the replacement and all that insurance costs, to go along with that. But the reality is if I arrest Dan Malloy for possession, I'm gonna end up going to court because it's a felony case. I have to go to grand jury to testify. It costs me to pay that police officer three hours of overtime to go to court on his off day and then go to trial. That's three hours of time that goes along with that court case until that's resolved. You have the EMS response. We have to pay for the Narcan. You start giving two or three doses, that's you know $36 to $40 a dose. Wow, that's expensive. Plus, down here in Hamilton County, we are part of a regional communication dispatching consortium. We pay, in our departments, roughly $800,000 a year to go do our job. So you call into the center, and the center dispatches us. It costs me you know, roughly 800000 plus to dispatch police and fire in a year to go do their jobs. Well, it's roughly $20 plus a call. Well, every overdose is a dispatch, and it costs a policeman and a fireman to go. So it costs us $42 right off the top just to go to that call. Not alone the officer time, the paramedics time, 
everything else. It costs roughly $136 every time that engine, that medic engine that's responding. How many calls? On. Yeah, so, so how many calls you, in a year? Let's so do this, some quick math here. Oh, well, I'll, give you, I'll just give you a community. A, a community that's a like size of us, 48,000 folks, the city of Middletown. It's a little northeast of us, up near Dayton. In 2014, they did the calculation. Police, fire, the courts, the public health, and the social service system within the city of Middletown, they spent $1.4 million just to deal with the heroin epidemic. Wow. $1.4 million. And so just so the, in, money's, the money's real. It yeah. definitely is. So in rough numbers then, with a program like yours as a percent, what would be the reduction, would you think? 35%? Well, well you would think. Well, the other, the other piece in this is, and I've learned this as well, as I've educated myself more into this issue because we, the reality is, you know, in, in police and fire, the research tells me, and this isn't my research, but it's from the people that are smarter than me, the doctors and whatnot in, the, in that infectious disease arena, 30-plus percent of our first responders are going to be exposed to needle sticks during their career, oh. which means that they enhance their potential of getting exposed Hep to hepatitis C and yeah. HIV, yeah. Which, which is already proven that, that you know, it's a half-million-dollar lifetime care then you combine if there's two that you're talking about a million. So this is real money, and, and you're talking about people's lives. And I look at people, I've got 240 police and firefighters, 30%. That's roughly 80, 80 folks. What 80 people do you want to just say, we don't care about you? So if I'm not going to as many overdoses, if I'm reducing my overdose runs by 35%, that means 35% time I'm reducing the potential exposure through needle sticks and spittle and everything else and blood to my first responders, which means their lives are better, their home's lives are safer, their ability to have children is still there. All the things that make and they deserve to receive when it comes to serving the community, they don't need to be worried about that. Well, Dan, I, uh, I really want to thank you for your time today. This has really been outstanding. I think you've spelled out for our listeners uh, pretty clearly how to get started with a similar program in their communities. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to publish all of the materials that you've provided for us along uh, on our website, cover2.org. So for those listeners that want to begin something uh, in their own communities, you'll have all the documents right there to see what Dan and his team have done in their community. So Dan, any final uh, comments for our listeners? No, I would just offer up that uh, my email address is d-m-e-l-o-y at colrain, c-o-l-e-r-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we can be of an assistance or we can send policy and procedure out to police departments or if we can help in any way, we certainly would be willing to because that's just, again, that's how we were raised as police and fire uh, service providers. And if we can do anything to help any community or help them understand or they have any specific questions, again, we just jumped in with both feet knowing we needed to do something. We're also excited about as more communities start doing these kinds of things, we know that there are people that are smarter than us and, and, and will make this better and exponentially. And we just want to ask people that would you just, you know, throw us your good things our way so maybe we can make our system better um, because we, we know that it's going to happen and we just want to make sure we continue to make sure ours is providing the level that you're going to provide in the communities that you are touching. So we just don't be hesitant to reach out and, and um, ask questions or pass along great success. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan.
And I'm sure our listeners really appreciate your uh, comments today. We've been visiting with Dan Malloy, Assistant Township Administrator and Director of Public Safety in Coleraine Township in Ohio. He also served as the Chief of Police in Coleraine for more than six years. So he had a great deal and a breadth of experience over the years to found the Quick Response Team that's making a difference in their community. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. We'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you know someone who is struggling with addiction, please share our podcast with them. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.